Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Perhaps you'll remember one of the funniest moments in the history of the now classic comedy series, Monty Python's Flying Circus. In a famous sketch, someone asked the question, what have the Romans ever done for us? Suggesting that nothing good had ever come from that empire. Eventually, after a long list of benefits, he retorts, all right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, roads, the fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Sometimes a similar attitude is shown towards the Christian church. What good has come from her? So this week we're considering the question, are we correct in calling God's church beautiful? This week on Lucas on Life, here on Premier Christian Radio. Is the church beautiful? What good has come from her? We can and we should blush with shame when we look back at some of the hideous acts done in the name of God by the church. Heretic burning, philandering and murderous popes, the Crusades, turning a blind eye towards racism, apartheid and slavery, oppressing women, selling indulgences and monetarizing heaven. The list of horrendous acts is long. But then we do need to look again because the church has given teaching that has helped shape the welfare state and offered the world a view of marriage, sexuality and family life. She helped outlaw human sacrifice, infanticide and polygamy. The church has been a primary provider of education and health care, preserving literacy in Western Europe when the Roman Empire collapsed in the West. The church founded many universities and gave the world some staggering architecture. Artists, composers and philosophers have been inspired by her. According to A Hundred Years of Nobel Prizes, a review of the prizes awarded between 1901 and 2000, the revelation comes that over 65% of Nobel Prize laureates have identified Christianity in its various forms as their religious choice. There have been coaches in leadership who are corralling a vast army of volunteers, and volunteers can't be penalised in a way that happens in the workplace. We, the church, are able to present a life with purpose, one worth sacrificing for, the answers to many mysteries, the ability to trust when we don't understand, to endure when life is toughest. We offer a life so purposeful that the martyrs died rather than surrender to an alternative. The possibility of the supernatural and miraculous, help with conflict resolution and debt management, addiction freedom, divorce counselling. And then, of course, there are many non-religious functions that can take place in church buildings, crash facilities, youth groups, community meeting places, keep fit classes, adult education classes, charity events, coffee mornings, the list goes on. It's been estimated that millions of hours of volunteer time come from faith communities. Voluntary service has a financial value to the economy in America of $25 an hour, the equivalent of $297 billion a year. And here in the UK, the voluntary sector contributed $18 billion to the economy in 2017-18, representing about 0.9% of total GDP. I know overwhelming statistics, but they do tell something of the story of the beauty of the church. 
we can claim to personally know the one who designed the universe and everything in it, the one who knows how everything works best. When South Africa ended the scourge of apartheid, she turned to the church to help with the process of healing, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission headed by Bishop Desmond Tutu. It was Jeremy Corbyn who said, I thank Christians and other faith communities and faith organisations for the work they do in our communities supporting the vulnerable and the oppressed. The work that Christians and all church and faith communities across the UK do is invaluable to so many. The way in which you stand against injustice in all its forms and support the poor and needy represents the very best of the Christian faith. Is the church beautiful? I think so. We're considering the question, is the church beautiful? It was one of those fireside, late in the evening, tell us your most embarrassing moment chats over a glass of vintage juice and a wedge of decomposing cheese. The anecdote that my friend Alistair told us had us all in agony as he relived his worst embarrassing moment. We vicariously cringed with him. It all happened when he was a bright Christian young thing attending a Cliff Richard concert at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Sitting in that huge cavernous building and waiting for a younger Cliff to come on stage to perform, my enthusiastic power was suddenly kissed by utter madness. The idea dawned in his zealous head that he would just stand up and lead the crowd in one of those Jesus shouts. You know the routine, give me a J, give me an E, etc., these moments of spontaneous cheerleading are always dangerous, particularly if the name that one is asking everyone to give you is quite long. The word Jesus being but five letters is normally a safe bet for this little bit of responsive activity. Plus, a crowd of Christians would feel obliged, required even, to holler back a throaty and jolly retort on the basis of the shout being for, well, Jesus. Longer names are obviously more challenging. One should never ask even the kindliest crowd to give you an M for Melchizedek or Malahala Shazbaz. Enthusiasm is likely to fade faster than the Pope playing squash. But a shout for Jesus from Christians is normally going to be forthcoming, especially when nothing else interesting is afoot. And so, emboldened by the still cliffless stage, Alistair stood to his feet, punched the air with gusto, and with a high-pitched yell, invited 20,000 people to give him a J. The expecting deafening roar failed to materialise. Around 450 of the kenotypes dutifully responded and gave the requested J. Feeling a little disappointed, yet hopeful for a better second letter, my erstwhile enthusiastic pal invited everyone to give him an E, whereupon 90 would-be martyrs, all of whom were probably wearing sandals and socks at the same time, provided the hapless crowd conductor with a half-hearted E. By the time it got to the first S, only a faithful group of around 12 disciples could bring themselves to offer a now dispirited response that was more than a corporate mumble than a yell, and their subdued offering was probably drowned out by the sound of thousands of sects of buttocks slamming together in acute embarrassment. There would never be a you. It was time surely for Alistair to sit down and acknowledge defeat, which he did, his face flushed a fluorescent crimson. And as he sat, his friends edged away from him a little, wanting to put some distance between them and the now retired and indeed ineffective group captain. 
Confusion settled upon people who were up in the gods of the Albert Hall who wanted to know why they were being asked to give a shout for someone called Jess. Tears of mirth ran down our faces as we remembered the folly of younger, more zealous days. We cringed at our brash, clumsy evangelistic sorties and we laughed out loud at some of the ridiculous and theologically bankrupt songs that we must have enjoyed way back then. We in turn marvelled and mocked our yesteryears. But there was something blended into our conversation that enabled us to avoid cynicism or unkindness, and that was our shared gratitude for this wonderful, beautiful, irritating, thrilling, embarrassing and precious thing called church, for she is both imperfect and glorious, at times ugly, at times gorgeous. One after another, we shared stories about victories and defeats and breakthroughs and struggles. We laughed about the Easter play held by one large church where one of the crucified thieves yelled at Jesus, if you're the son of God, save yourselves and us, and then promptly fell off his cross. We realized too that the church in her failure is not separate from us. Her embarrassments are our embarrassments, as we own responsibility for the collective strengths and weaknesses to which we all as individuals contribute. But as the fire burned down to fading embers that night, we toasted one of the most wonderful, the most demanding creations that God has ever come up with to date. The church. Yes, beautiful. Speaking at church weekends used to be a hazardous exercise only to be undertaken by the bravest Christian leader. Once upon a time, Christian conference centres were often managed by a Basil Forty type with a fish badge on his lapel. The philosophy in the bad old days seemed to be that we Christians were going to enjoy an eternity of bliss in heaven so we could jolly well put up with a few days of agony in the Gehenna Conference Centre in the meantime. We munched on barely edible food, featuring beef obtained from cows that had apparently died in hit-and-run car accidents, and we spooned up semolina puddings more suitable for use as wallpaper paste. These culinary delights were often served by stern-faced waitresses who obviously wished that they'd been issued with a cattle prod. Sometimes the heating broke down, prompting us to consider rubbing a couple of house groups together to keep warm. Complaining about anything back then was useless, since the lady who was in charge of the catering arrangements wasn't interested in what we were saying. Mealtimes offered a further challenge. A bell would ring, a gong would be struck, and then a lengthy prayer of grace would follow, perhaps praying for protection for those who would eat the semolina. Even nibbling at one's food before the mandatory grace was akin to a capital offence and would provoke a wrinkled nose and a grimace of the sort usually reserved for those who make bad smells in public. Not a great way to spend a weekend. Now, before I invite a barrage of complaints from the many lovely and dedicated conference centre staff around the world and risk finding myself waking up with a dead horse's head on my pillow next time I speak at one, let me say that things, for the most part, have improved enormously because hot water is now usually hot. The food is much better and the standards are probably at their highest ever. And what goes on at these weekends is often a whole lot more balanced and sane as well. But a recent church weekend that I went to was simply the best. And it did demonstrate, yes, the beauty of the church. The whole event was like one long group hug. You can tell it happened before social distancing. And they even drew me, an outsider to the church and the guest speaker, into the embrace. 
Occasionally, organisers of these weekends expect their invited speaker to preach 94 times, pray and prophesy over every person present, and counsel lines of deeply challenged folks during mealtimes. I emerge from events like these, exhausted in feeling that atheism is a serious temptation. This church had developed a great programme, though. I spoke only three times, there were other studies and activities going on, but these people were just seriously delighted to be together, and not just to sit in rows imbibing yet more biblical information. The Saturday night cabaret was bliss. A child played the violin and her three notes, delivered with intense concentration, received a rapturous response that Yehudi Menuhin could not have hoped for. Three girls did some tap dancing and collapsed halfway through in a delightful fit of giggles. The loud laughter that greeted unfunny puns and even the joke of one young lad about an Irishman with flatulence who blew up a building, it was all an act of love. To crown it all, a lovely older gentleman who had only come to faith recently read a poem about how he missed his deceased wife, the one great love of his life. His eyes moist with tears, he broke out into a broad smile after delivering one of what he considered to be his best poetic lines. Pausing for effect, he asked the audience, that was really good, wasn't it? They clapped and cheered because it was very good indeed. He sat down, his eyes bright now. For a little while, he was no longer a sad man with a lifetime of fading memories in his head and a worn-out photograph of his darling in his wallet. He'd been able to celebrate the one he missed every minute of every day with people who cared enough to listen. Beautiful. During the final session, a lady took the microphone and boldly announced that she'd been, in her words, a consistent pain to the leaders of the church, in what she described as her unkind and hypercritical attitudes. She wholeheartedly apologised to the church family and thanked the leaders whom she felt she bruised. Tears and yet more hugs ensued. And as I watched them roaring their approval at each other, playing board games late into the night, young and old and everything in between, together I saw again the beauty of being able to come in from the frigid cold of loneliness to be at the hearthside of love in the family of God. You see, it's a cold, drafty world where people often watch friends with unrequited longing. So church at its best is very, very good indeed. Yeah. Church can be frustrating, indeed exasperating at times, but when it's warm, real and affirming, as I saw that weekend, it is really good. Here is a place for the first-year student who's feeling the loss of being away from home for the first time ever and who hovers hesitantly on the edge of established friendships. He desperately hopes and even prays that someone will invite him home for a pizza or even a cup of lukewarm coffee. Here he can find welcome and warmth. Here is the place for the lone parent who wakes up every day with the sense that they just don't fit. They struggle to invite married couples for dinner or go clubbing with the 20-somethings, but here they connect in a network of relationships. And here too, perhaps, is the place for the divorcee who works late just to avoid the silent house that waits. The word welcome is on the doormat. It seems to mock. They send themselves flowers once in a while, but perhaps here in the church there is someone else who will bring the flowers. Perhaps there is someone else who will share a meal. Here in the church we can all be home. So I remain delighted to be part of this glorious, irritating, sometimes thrilling, sometimes dull family that we call church. 
This week, go ahead with a kindly word or a card of thanks. Make sure that today isn't a hug-free zone for those who bump into you, even practicing social distancing. Send the email, make the call, make somebody else's day or maybe even month. The church, yep, it's beautiful. Lucas on Life. 